Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Amen. Praise God. You can have a seat. How are we doing this morning? Come on, it's Leviticus. You can do better than that. You guys ready? Come on, this is the varsity now, all right? You're not on JV anymore, okay? We're in Leviticus, okay? So uh, for that, uh, I brought my, um, my, my fence, okay? All right, get it out of your system. D! Oh, gosh, boy, not a lot of fans. Okay. Offense, all right, we can do that too, all right? So um, almost fenced Timmy in there. So, so, so the, the reason I brought the fence out is, you know, sometimes w- w- we find it more convenient to fence ourselves off from the past because maybe it hurts or it's messy or we just don't want to think about it. Um, and that can be a real mistake. Imagine if, um, you know, two people were engaged, about to be married, and, and one of them said, you know what, I'm not going to tell you anything about my past. That'd be kind of a mistake, right? You can, you can learn a lot about somebody by learning their past. You don't live in the past, but you should not completely fence yourself off from it. What if you went to a counselor and you're going to, and, and, dealing with some struggles in, in your present, and the, and the counselor said, we're not going to talk at all about your past. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Just about today and in the future. Well, that would be silly because there's a lot you can learn about you uh, from looking at the past. And so uh, what sometimes Christians do, right, is uh, and kind of look, use this fence, and we sort of say, all right, uh, we, we just kind of deal with the New Testament. <laughs> I, I don't, these weird books like Leviticus, uh, some strange stuff happening, and, and it just, I, I don't need to know any of that. It's weird, uh, it's not, it's a long time ago, and, and we don't do that stuff anymore. And yet what we can then do is we can miss so much about God and who he is, right? Specifically, as we uh, look today, and really through the whole book, is the holiness of God. How holy he is, that he's perfectly holy. He's pure, he's righteous in every way, right? And something that I think we can, I don't think we mean to do this, but as Christians in the New Covenant era, right, we can take for granted that going into, entering God's presence is a really, really big deal. It's not something that's just casually done. It's, it's actually because of God's holiness he has to make a way for us to be able to enter his presence. And that's what we're going to talk about um, in this first section of, of Leviticus. To not fence ourselves off and to not uh, live in the past. It is different, but to more build a bridge in, instead. I'll put this over here so it's not in your guys' way. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we, we come before you, and this is a book that um, we, we acknowledge that some of us maybe have never read or um, it's been a long time and really confusing to us. So, Lord, I pray, as Bob already prayed, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would just give great clarity to us, Lord. And you'd help us to see why it matters and what we can learn about who you are. Lord, I pray that you would move in the hearts of your people to know you better and that you would move in the hearts of someone or someones who don't know you. Oh, Jesus, that they would come to this beautiful understanding that you are the Lamb of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, this, this, as we, I mentioned last week, if you were with us, we're going to just do eight weeks. There's eight different sections. So that means one message on each section. So uh, 
Last week, all the reading guides got taken, so that's great. We printed out more. We also emailed them out if you'd rather a digital copy. And again, if you weren't here, the reading guide is not a major study. It's really just because, uh, you know, today, for instance, um, uh, we're going to deal with seven different chapters, right? And uh, it's kind of funny. I was at, uh, our, for a little bit, our youth retreat, or some of our teens are on a retreat this weekend. And one of them was talking to me. He's like, Pastor Jamie, didn't you not preach a whole sermon on like two verses? And I'm like, that's, that's easy. This weekend I'm going to do one sermon on seven chapters. And he's like, thank God I'm not going to be there. <laughs> Thanks, man. I really appreciate the honesty, you know. And so, so we, we, we can't cover it all, right? And, and, and we're not going to even try. So that just helps if you've never read it or it's been a long time to stay up with, all right, this week we're going to be covering this, this section. And this is one of the, this, this week, the past week is one of the largest sections. So uh, if you did read it, it's like, wow, this is a lot. Some of the sections are much smaller. It's really just kind of based around themes, okay? And so as, as you, if you did read them or if you've ever read the first seven chapters, it's, it's dealing with five different sacrificial offerings. And it seems incredibly repetitive. Like, even within the, the offerings, you're like, all right, there's, there's animals, and there's sacrifice, and it's like a lot of the language is very repetitive. It's like, why? Like, it seems like too much. But you've got to remember, in their culture and day, they didn't have parchments and books. I mean, they did, but it was very rare. Commoners like us, we didn't really have the means to have that. And so God gave as a gift these, these very precise commands in a way that could be heard and over and over again and remembered right? And God was very precise. This isn't a guide like, ah, do your best. Very, very precise. But these offerings are also, as I hope you'll see, a beautiful gift of God's love and grace, right? That again, he is holy. That is part of his character. He can't be not holy like the sun can't be hot, right? Like you could fly into the sun and say, don't burn me. The sun's like, what am I going to do, right? I'm the sun. You could jump into a lake and say, I don't want to get wet. It's wet. It's water, right? God is holy. What that means is he's set apart, right? So anything and anyone who is unholy, corruptible, sinful, right, are set apart from God because of his holiness. So the gift of the offerings and the gift of the sacrifices from God is so that there could be a way for these people who are unholy to enter into the presence of someone who is holy, okay? And so there's... um, Five of them, and again, we're not going to read all of them, but the first one, um, what I want to do is sort of summarize them and really give you the, the hopefully um, main points of, of what we think these offerings really were for, and then eventually connect them why they matter to our present, right? So I, I try not to give you too much information, but try to stay with us because it, it can get like, all right, this one was that one. Don't panic uh, if you forget some of the things, but I'm really just going to try to give you the, the, the overall purpose of, of each one. And so it, it starts with the burnt offering, okay? And that's right in the very beginning of Leviticus chapter 1. And I just wanted to see this, since we're starting the book, let's just start it right where it begins in verse 1, right? Chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. All right, so real quick, this, this is showing us that Leviticus is actually a continuation right from where Exodus, the second book of the Bible, left off. 
And, and if you know uh, Exodus, right, the people were enslaved in Egypt. God rescued them, the Exodus from Egypt. He brings them uh, uh, in the wilderness up to the, the foot of Mount Sinai where Moses receives the law while the people are building golden calves, right, and, and sinning majorly against God and showing that huge divide. And, and so he has, they have the law, and they also build a tabernacle where God's special presence for his people could be. That's not the only place God is, special presence for the people in this tabernacle. Um, and they built a, what you saw, already saw there, a tent of meeting around it for the people to come to, to meet God and to hear from him because they're still in the, in the wilderness. And you even see a hint in that first verse that there is a divide, that the Lord calls outside to Moses, right? Moses, who's the prophet, right? He's outside and God is inside because God is holy, Right, keep it, keep it going with verse 3. He says, if, the, if his offering is a burnt offering, so there's your first offering, right? A burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. All right, so I wanted to throw up, even though um, on our uh, our there's a banner design here. You can actually see in the background the tent of meeting. It's kind of hard to pick up. So I wanted to give you this illustration because some of us learn better by seeing. Now, this isn't an actual photograph, right, uh, from back then. But this is sort of the design of the tent of meeting, okay, and, and just kind of taking you through the burnt offering. You can picture it a little bit better, all right? So if you look in the, the tent in the, in the, um, the deep part uh, where it's fenced in, that's where the God's the tabernacle is, right? And so you have the most holy place. That's the deepest part. Only God and only the high priest could go in there once a year, right? The, the outer, when you come out of the, that's separated by a, a curtain, right? And you have a holy place. Only priests who are purified could go into that place. And so most of the action that we are going to talk about takes place outside of that, right? Where you see the tables and you see the, the altar and the guy standing there where, with his, his sacrifice, so the burnt offering, as we just read, you, if you were a worshiper and you would come to the entrance of the tent of meeting and you would bring an animal sacrifice, and it kind of depended on your economic situation. The, 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 the richest, because this, I know we like to think of animals as our pets, right? But these are commodities, right? The more and the better you have, the more money, the more influence you have. And so why does it have to be a spotless uh, animal in all of these sacrifices? Because that's the best, Right? You don't bring God, you're like, eh, I don't really want that one anyway. You bring God your best. So if you bring a bull, that means you're, like, you're at the top end, like you have the means for that. Most people didn't, the average uh, you know, uh, person, commoner like we would probably be, unless you're from the line of Aaron, I don't think anyone here is, um, that we would probably bring a lamb. Okay? But there could be a goat. Uh, and, and, and as well, and even a bird, right? If you were super poor, uh, you could bring a bird. Um, and they had to be spotless. And so you see the guy, if you can kind of pick, picture, like he comes up and the priest would meet him. And, and there was probably some hymns, I mean, some psalms said and even sang. And you would tell the priest while you were there. You're there for a burnt offering. And you had the, 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 your animal, if it's a lamb, right? And you would put, as we just saw, you would put your hand upon that animal. Right? And, and, and you do that because in this sacrifice, that animal, that spotless animal, is taking your place. It's taking your place and taking upon what, why you're there. And for the burnt offering, what we believe, um, again, a lot of that is just kind of really educated guessing. 
But the burnt offering was the most prominent and most done. It was morning and evening the priests were doing that. Not that you would go there every morning and evening, but that's when they were, they were doing it. And they would light up the fire. You see the altar right in the middle? The blue thing, that's where you would wash some aspects of the animal. Right? So you would come in, the, the priest would let you come in, and then you would go to one of those tables and you would slaughter the animal. Which I know sounds very strange to most of us, um, but for them that's very commonplace. And, and for the burnt offering specifically, imagine this. This is a prized commodity of your herd, right? You bring it in, you slaughter it, you give all the, the priest takes all of it except for the skin. The skin goes outside, right? And all of the animals put on that fire and burned up completely. Nobody gets any of it, the burnt offering. And, and it says that it's a sweet, beautiful aroma to God. And what this one seems to signify, why it's most important, it was for the atonement of sin. It was for the satisfaction of God's holy wrath. And we like to think of wrath uh, as something bad. Because when it's you and I, it is bad, right? When you burst out, someone cuts you off in traffic, and you have wrath, right? That's sinful, right? But God's wrath is holy. It is perfect, and it is just, and it is the reaction to all things that are unholy, corruptible, and sinful. And so it will always, always happen. Sin receives God's wrath. So the burnt offering is by placing your hand on it and burning it to God is having that offering take your place and receiving all of God's wrath. And so that's why it was the most important and why they, that, or certainly the one they did the most because of the effects of sin. Now the second offering in, in uh, chapter 2 it's called, it's kind of my favorite, probably because it doesn't, it's the only one that doesn't involve killing an animal, right? Um, it's called the grain offering. And the grain offering is where you could take flour, you mix it with a little incense, you mix it with a little oil, definitely salt as well. That represented the covenant uh, that, that God had with his people. And you'd bring this flour, again, um, the, the same place, and, and it would often be done on top of the burnt offering. And you'd bring it to the priest, and the priest would take uh, uh, some of that, and he'd put it on the altar and burn, again, a sweet aroma to God. The rest he'd make into bread. And, the, uh, and so God got, got the best, and then the priest gets the rest of the bread. You'd get nothing, but that's okay. You're bringing it to the Lord. It was a good way of God taking care of priests as well. So why do they have the grain offering? Um, there was certainly certain feasts and festivals where it was commanded, but the, the main purpose seems to be this idea of Everything you have given be God. It's yours. And I want to come and I want to bring the first and best. And I want to celebrate this covenant. I want to celebrate your love. I want to celebrate and joy. Right? So very different kind of feel from the burnt offering. I'm a sinner. God's wrath needs to be satisfied. This is a celebration. And yet you still need to go through the priests and all of this because you are unholy. So to come in the presence of God. Right? To, to bring thanksgiving to him, there needs to be a sacrifice. And this time, it's the bread. Right? And, that, and that's um, the, the grain offering. It's a beautiful offering of thanksgiving and praise. I don't know about you, but that's one, one of the things I think we miss not doing these is the active engagement of the worshiper. Right? It's not a passive exercise. You come. Right, that burnt offering, you come with, with the animal and, and, and you look to God and, 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 and you see the weight of that. You see the holiness of God. You see the weight of your sin and something needs to be done about that. We can, because we don't do that, or, or you bring that, that, that bread, right? And, 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 and there's just something about 
of participating in that, bringing God your first and best. And by the way, with the grain offering, if you thought you were a better baker than the priest, you could make it yourself and bring it. And then you would take part of that bread that you made, you could bake it, you could fry it, griddle it, all kinds of different ways. And the priest would take part of it, and he would burn it to God, and he would take the rest. And that's the the grain offering. That's the only one that doesn't involve animals. The peace offering is the third one you read about. And this one, when you start reading, you're like, man, that sounds a lot like the burnt offering. Right, that, that you bring uh, animals. Um, some call this a fellowship offering. And um, it, it's very similar uh, animals for the, the peace offering, except it can be, you can have um, females, not just be males. But they have to be without blemish. Okay? And so, again, you, you, with the, the, the peace or the fellowship offering, you would bring that animal in. Um, the only thing also, you couldn't have birds for this one. Uh, and, 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 and you would, again, lay your hand on that animal. The priest would accept it as a sacrifice. You'd bring it to one of those tables. You'd slaughter it. And so all has stayed the same, right, as the burnt offering, except something changes with the peace offering. What changes is as you slaughter it and, and you, you, you kind of bring it into different pieces, you clean some of the stuff that needs to be cleaned, and then you give the, what you read about often, it says the fat of the animal, which to me was like fat. I don't really like fat that much, right? That's a word that really just means the best. So you give the fat of the animal and other things as well to the priest to be burnt again for a sweet aroma to God. In other words, God gets the filet mignon, all right? Like when you cut up that animal, that filet, that choicest meat gets burnt up to God. That's going to be tough to watch sometimes, right? But it, it's beautifully symbolic of like God gave it and God gets the best. Now, here's where it changes. It's in the, the peace offering, the priest gets the next best, right? And he can eat that in a holy place. So he gets the, the breast and, a th- and the thigh. And then finally, in the peace offering, unlike the burnt offering where everything gets burnt to God, peace offering, you, can, you get to eat what's left. And sometimes your family or your friends would come and you would celebrate what was called a sacred meal. And this seems to to represent coming into God's presence to feasting on and enjoying the peace and the rightness that you have with God. And the only way to get that is, again, a sacrificial animal that's taken your place because you're unholy and God is holy. And so you celebrate this this peace and um, this, this, again, just feeling a rightness and fellowship with your creator God. And so these weren't as, uh, as common as the grain offering and the burnt offering, but still fairly common. And the, less, uh, the last two uh, uh, are even a little bit less common than those ones, but they still happened regularly. This one's called the sin offering. This ha- has caused confusion over the years. Because it's called the sin offering. So it seems like, oh, this must be the offering mainly for your sin. The problem is they all kind of deal with sin because God is holy and you're not. And so, uh, and the burnt offering definitely seems like the primary way that your sin is atoned for. So in the sin offering, okay, something, again, it looks very similar, okay? When you read it, you're like, okay, this sounds a lot uh, uh, similar as as the burnt offering and the the peace offering. You bring... uh, similar animals, um, except typically you couldn't use a male lamb, but often a female lamb, and the primary animal that that people would use would be the goat. Had to be spotless. Um, And you'd bring that animal in, and again, you'd 
accepted by the priest. You put your right hand on it, takes your place, you slaughter it on the tables, you drain, by the way, in every one of these, I should have mentioned, right, you drain the blood because you're not allowed to eat the blood because the life is in the blood. So all the other ones that we've seen so far, you, the, the blood is, is poured away, okay? But here in the sin offering, that some of the blood is collected into a basin. And let me uh, give you what uh, Leviticus chapter 4 tells us about this. It says, And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of the fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Okay, so when, when you read through this, let me bring us back to um, our picture, right? That for the sin offering, sorry, our fourth one um, of five, that, that you bring that animal in, and everything's pretty much the same except you could use different animals, right? And then you slaughter it, right? And, and the priest gets some, you don't get any, uh, and God gets the best, right? And you collect some of the blood. And what that just gave us is if, if the priest is the one bringing this off, uh, offering. So if the priest sins, that's even worse because the priest represents the people to God. And so the priest had to be a bull, and he would, because he's allowed to, go take that blood and just some of it, right, and go into the the holy place, which is not the holy of holies where the tabernacle is, but just outside of that where the veil is. So he'd come right up to the veil between him and the tabernacle, and he would sprinkle that blood, right? And, And then he would take it, and inside that holy place, which commoners like us would never be able to go into, but the priest could, he would smear some on the horns of, this is the altar of incense, which is in that holy place. That's a depiction of it, of course. You see the horns on the top? He would put the blood on the horns. But for commoners like us, right, not priests, they would, uh, the priest would take the blood from, from the sacrifice you brought, and he would put it on the horns of that burnt offering which you can even see depicted here. If you, you kind of look, you can see the horns. You can't really see it on our picture on the screen. But they also had those horns, and he would put the blood on those horns. And so that's the big distinction, the blood of the spotless lamb or the spotless sacrifice. And so what the, the sin offering seems to be doing is um, what they truly believed, and it is very true, is that that when we sin, it's not just the sin, but it's there's this pollution and corruption. That, that, so when a place happens, where sin happens in a place, that place is unholy, right? That home might be unholy. That, that church might be unholy. That place is unholy because sin happened there. And so the sin offering, by the, the blood, right, it cleanses the unholiness, right? And it makes it holy by that sacrifice. So as we, we think about that, I want you to think, what does that have to do with us? Why would blood matter? The life is in the blood. And so the, 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 the last one, okay, I promise, is called the guilt offering, all right? And when you read this, it's the, la- the fifth of, the, of, of all five, and this is the most costly. So you weren't allowed to bring a bird or flower or anything like that. You brought um, usually your choice animal, right? And, um, and, and usually a, a male lamb or ram was accepted. Like that was kind of what you had to do for, for this guilt offering. 
And when you read through here, this emphasis seems to be on making reparations, right? Because with sin to God comes a debt to God. Like, let me, let me just read this quick couple of verses. Verse 16. He shall also make restitution for what he has done, a miss in the holy thing. And he shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. All right, so you can see that, 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 that if the burnt offering is the atonement satisfying God's wrath, right? You got the, the peace offering, you're, you're, you're bringing, uh, sa- having a sacred meal, you have the sin offering, as the blood is cleansing the unholiness, right, of, of where you are and who you are, right? Now you have the guilt offering, which seems to be saying, I've sinned, and that means there is a debt that I have to God and to the person I might have sinned against. And so I am recognizing that with a contrite heart. This isn't like caught red-handed, go make an offering. This is me saying, man, I've really blown this. And so I bring my sacrifice. I'd again put my right hand. It takes my place. Slaughter that uh, sacrifice burned as an offering to God. But I also add something to that so that I can pay back my debt because of my sin. Right? And that debt is then paid. And so these are the five offerings. And I... Really appreciate your patience as we go through those because it's the first time you've heard them. You're like, oh my goodness, animals, blood, right? So why? Why not fence that off? We don't do that anymore, and we shouldn't. There's a very good reason why we shouldn't. But we still should recognize that God is holy. That has not changed. He, he's not just, you know, a nice old man who gives us sage, nice counsel and advice and says, you're doing your best. That's not God. God is holy, right? And we are not. That hasn't changed, so what has changed? Why do we look back and learn that, that God is very precise about how we deal with that and deal with our issues before him and our, our sin before him? And so I just want to look back at one main thing and then a much more minor point and then we're done. But this is the main one, that we look back and recognize God is holy and our sin has to be dealt with. It hasn't changed, right? God is holy, our sin has to be dealt with. We no longer have the tabernacle or animals to lay our hand on, etc., but that does not change this fact. In fact, so if you're like, oh, I don't really need to know all of this, then it's really going to be hard for you to understand the New Testament. The New Testament uses these offering languages, language all the time. Like, just for interest of time, I'm just going to give you a few, but there's many more I could give you. Now look closely. See if you can, as I, I read a few of these, see if you can see in there these this offering, sacrificial offering language in it. The first is Paul as he writes to the Ephesians. He says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Sound familiar? Right? Um, Peter wrote it this way in his first letter. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Make more sense now when you read that? Like, oh, okay, I see what we're getting at. The, the writer of, of, of Hebrews loved to deal with this topic because his audience was reverting back to doing these offerings. Some of them were. And so he was trying to help them to see. You don't go back to doing that, right? And he explains why. In, in, in chapter 9, he says this. He, meaning Christ, entered once for all the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What's he saying? He's saying if God was that precise and God accomplished that much with those five offerings we just, I just laid out for you, imagine what he accomplished through the precious blood of his own son, his own son Jesus on the cross. You know, the, the Jews, a very important story in their tradition and in their history was a story that a lot of us uh, have heard if you grew up in church at all, and that's a story of Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham, of course, he, he has the promised son, Isaac, who God had promised in a very old age. And he loved Isaac so much. So did his wife. Not just because it was his son, but he just literally embodied the promises of God that he had thought were impossible. And yet one day, I've heard the story, God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to travel to such and such place, and I, I want you to give your son as an offering to me. So just as we laid out, it would be the same thing. Slaughter and burn as a sweet aroma to God. That's crazy stuff, right? Abraham gets up. Isaac goes with him. They travel to this place. By the way, it's right outside of where eventually Jerusalem would be built. And, and, and so he's just outside of Jerusalem. Where? Perhaps somewhere nearby where something else would happen, right around that location. And so he brings Isaac. And Remember, Isaac's not a little child. He's not a baby, right? He's a young man. And Isaac's with him. He's like, Dad, we got the wood. We got the, 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 the slaughtering tools for the offering. Like, where, but, but where's the animal sacrifice? Where is it? Right? And Abraham's like, hmm. Well, son, God will provide the lamb. He'll provide. So Abraham brings Isaac, right? And he gets to that place. And you know the story. God stopped him from slaughtering his own son. And then they looked over, and there was a lamb in the, that kind of caught, and they sacrificed that as an offering to God. But, it, but that story was very important. The idea of a son, a, a father, and his, his firstborn son, and, 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 and yet um, centuries later, centuries later, John the Baptist is there with his disciples, right? You've heard he's, they're all like, this guy's so cool. He eats locusts, right? He eats honey. And, and they're there with him, and, right, and, and they're like, this guy's the man. This is who we get, right? And all of a sudden, he points. Like he points. All their eyes follow his finger. Look, because here comes someone walking towards them, right? And what did John say? He points, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And they all look, and here comes Jesus Christ, God's own son, the Lamb, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. And so why we look back and see all these offerings, right? It's not because you and I are today going to enter the tent of meeting with a priest and put our hand on a heifer or a lamb, right, and, 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 and then go through that, that process. But instead, we come to the gates of the kingdom of God, to the gates of heaven, and we put our hands on the cross of Jesus Christ. And with our faith and what he's done, all of what is accomplished once and for all, for all of eternity. Think about it. The burnt offering, right? The satisfaction of God's wrath on the cross, that's what Jesus was doing. He was taking the wrath of God so you and I don't have to, right? The burnt offering happened at the cross once and for all. 
the, the grain offering, right, where we can enter into fellowship in his presence, right, and we can, we can celebrate the love of God, right, that is possible for us to do even right now because of the cross of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of him offering himself for us. Right, the, the peace offering, where you come and you do a sacred meal. We can, in the presence of God, have a sacred meal celebrating his covenant. You know what that's called now? The Lord's Supper, where we come together and we have a sacred meal, which is all just a foreshadowing of the, of the supper of the Lamb in eternity in heaven that we will share for all of time. Not just because for no reason at all, but because God's holiness, right? We have been made holy by the sacrificial offering of his own son, the Lamb of God, right? The, the, um, the sin offering, right? The, the blood that got sprinkled, right? That, that no longer do we have the blood of, of bulls and goats because we don't need a, a priest to do that, right? Because we have the precious spotless blood of Christ that now cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And instead of dripping it in front of the curtain, the blood of Christ tore that curtain in two. And so now at any point, you can enter into the presence of the creator of the universe and talk to him. Like we take that for granted that the holiness of God wants us to come. There's one reason we can, the blood of Christ. And lastly, the guilt offering, right? The reparations and paying back the sin debt. One of the last things Jesus said on the cross was what? It is finished. Meaning it's paid in full. That the debt that we have towards God was completely, finally, forever paid by the death of Jesus Christ. You have more debt, no more debt to God no matter what you've done, no matter what you feel guilty about today. When you put your hand, and that just means your faith in Christ, that debt is paid. It doesn't seem very costly. Well, it was. It cost God's own son to sacrifice and die for us. That's why we look back and understand those offerings. If you're, and I know we have a lot of Christians in the room, when, when, when you do this and you have these sacred meals and you celebrate the, the covenant of what God has done for you, like, like what, what, the, I know we have a lot of struggles and frustrations in this room and hurts and like, oh, right? And, and those are real and I'm not belittling them, but when you really think about what was accomplished on your behalf, they become mosquito bites, honestly. Or the, the pleasures that we just want in this world so badly, they're rusted trinkets swept to the corner of a room because of what was given to you on Calvary. And if you're in the room and you've never, ever put your faith, I mean like instead of putting your hand on an animal, putting your hand of faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're invited to do that. There's nothing else but to repent and believe and say, I need God's Son. I need that sacrifice. You won't be able to go to church enough. You won't be able to read your Bible enough. You won't be able to do enough good things. You put your faith in Christ, and then he takes you from there. He takes you from there. And so we, we look back at those five offerings and all the weirdness and the blood so that we can fully understand who God is and who we are and what we need. That offering, that sacrificial offering. All right, so what about, and, and this is just a couple of minutes and we'll be done, but what about then uh, offerings to God? Do we do offerings of any kind? And the answer is we do, right? And, and, I'll, I'll, um, and, and here's kind of the, the point that I wanted to make, and that is just our offerings must be genuine. And, and I'll just close with this verse, Hebrews 13, 15 to 16. Through him, that's through Christ, then 
let us continually offer up a sacrifice. See that language? Right? We get it now. Okay. Not a bull or a heifer, though. It's a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we do bring God, off, God uh, offerings of sacrifice, but they're not bulls and lambs and birds and flower anymore, right? And it's not the, the tent of meeting. Do you know where the tent of meeting is now? It's everywhere you are because Christ has opened up that way. You've been made holy and made righteous through Christ. So everywhere you go, your homes, athletic fields, campuses, schools, workplaces, neighborhoods, stores, everywhere you are is now the tent of meeting where God is with you. And, all, and, and so, in a lot of ways, it's more difficult. You're like, man, I'd rather just make an offering once in a while. But you have the Holy Spirit with you, so you have an advantage. And so now, you and I are called upon to offer ourselves up for praise to God. Right? That, that, that we do good works. We learn, so when we look back at those offerings, we realize, okay, how do I learn from those five offerings? Well, contrite heart, humility, you come like they did. I've sinned, right? And you have the animal there. Every day I, 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 we, we recognize that, that we need God's forgiveness. We need his grace. We need his love, right? We, we, we come with this offering our very life. What do we learn from those offerings? We give God our first and best. In other words, give God the fat of your life. And I'm not talking about this fat, you know what I mean? I'm talking about the best of your life, the best of my money, the best of my time. And I think it's hard. Like it was, maybe they, they could really, they'd go through the process. So, so think of it this way. When you bring, whether you're clicking online or you're bringing something to an offering, like think about it that way. I'm, I'm bringing this to God. It's a sacrifice of praise. When you're serving God and you're giving your time to God, hopefully your first and best, you're saying, I'm bringing God my fat, my best, the choice offerings. I'm not giving him the gross meat, right? I'm giving him the filet of my life. My words, my actions, all of these things are now these offerings that we make to God. And our prayer, right, our prayer is that this will be a fragrant, beautiful offering. That when we live for him, he smells really good because it pleases God. What a mo the most beautiful goal that any of us can have is to please God with our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, even in the Old Testament, that sometimes can be confusing. But as we lay it out, we realize you are holy. Father, I pray that we would have a spirit, even now, of repentance, that we take for granted your presence that you're here with us now and that we can talk to you and sing to you and, and enjoy your presence was bought at the most expensive cost, your own son. Father, that we, we wouldn't take that for granted. Remind us. Remind us continually. Lord, I pray that whatever struggles are here amongst your people, that we sometimes through pain, sometimes through tears, we can look up at the cross and we can know how much you love us and how much you will always be with us and what we have and what we've, what's been gained for us for all of eternity, Lord. And God, that 
that we wouldn't pursue the pleasures of this world over the beautiful pleasures of who you are, your holy presence. Lord, I ask that you would call anyone in this room who's not who's never put their faith in Christ, that they would do that even now as I pray, that you would just, through your spirit, just, just quicken their heart to know I'm a sinner and God's holy and I need you. I need that sacrifice that you gave for us, Jesus, that you would save someone or someones even now, Lord. Continually do your work and use us as vessels to do it. I ask, Father, that we would be reminded even this week and as we move forward in our lives that, that everywhere we go, we're in that tent of meeting. We're offering up sacrifices of praises to you. That you would give us contrite hearts, minds. That you would give us that, that ability to see. Man, we, we're giving our best to God because you are worthy. And that our lives would be fragrances to you. And that others would see it and want to know you. Not us, but you, Lord Jesus. We praise you. We're, we're grateful that, that we can have this sacred time together because Jesus died for us in our place. In his name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing to God for he's worthy.